0: Since the word Iblis and Satan refer to beings that manifest in similar ways, there is sometimes crossover in the use of this terminology. Iblis is a Satan, and Satan is the source of Iblis. Explaining this point, it's mentioned in the five-volume English commentary of the Holy Quran that wherever the Quran speaks of the being who, unlike the angels, refused to serve Hazrat Adam, it invariably mentions the name Iblis. And wherever it speaks of the being who misguided Hazrat Adam a.s. and beguiled him and became the means of his being turned out of Jannah, the garden, there it invariably mentions the name Satan. So the defining characteristic of Iblis is described in the Holy Qur'an where Allah Ta'ala says that what prevented you from submitting when I commanded you? Iblis said that I am better than he. You have created me from fire while you have created him from clay. This example of fire and clay is figurative language. Hazrat one who explained that this means that Adam a.s. was of a temperament of clay and he could submit, he could mold himself to the commandments of Allah Almighty. However, Iblis was of a temperament of fire and he rebelled against submission, he reacted against it. And that Iblis was proud of his nature and looked down on those who submitted. Identifying Iblis in principle is simple. These are the characteristics. But in application, it's not as easy as it seems. Because these characteristics of obliques are found in people in society, they can very slowly appear in us as well. This story of the Holy Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala, has told to be a lesson for us in how a person can become misguided. So it's important that we be able to identify these dispositions of clay and fire as they exist in us and also as they exist in those around us. To identify the characteristics of iblis among us, we first have to know what makes it distinctive. This story of the Holy Qur'an teaches us how important arrogance and humility are in deciding our fate in the sight of Allah Ta'ala. If a person has every other good deed in their register, but they're filled with arrogance, then in the sight of Allah Ta'ala, they're not acceptable. So these characteristics for a great deal remain hidden until they are tested A person might seem righteous, he might seem to do a lot of good deeds, but until we see inside of him how much real humility and arrogance there actually is we can't know what his value is and how well he would fare in this test A person might seem righteous, but in reality he might be in a for example Hazrat Muslim Maud explains about Muhammad Hussain Batalvi that we have had research done about Mulvi Muhammad Hussain of Batala the greatest enemy of the promised Messiah a.s. he strictly followed the apparent commands of the Sharia he observed the Hajjat regularly and except for compelling reasons he would not miss the Hajjat Now think about this if we know somebody who's regular in the Hajjat we might immediately assume that while wow, this person is very righteous but in the sight of Allah Taala that person may have an arrogance in his heart that can end up making him into the greatest of the kuffar of the Prophet of God of that age. And also, Hazrat Musleh who describes Mulvi Muhammad Hussain of Batala as a great friend of the Hazrat Masih Maud before his prophethood. So here, he had recognized the good nature of Hazrat Masih Mawr-i-Salam. he showed great humility in front of Hazrat Masih Mawr-i-Salam. But when he made his claim to prophethood and being the promised Messiah, then Mulvi Muhammad Hussain of Batala his fiery disposition came forward and his arrogance came forward and that led him to his miserable state that we see afterwards So similarly we also find this same pattern during the time of the Holy Prophet Wasallam, Where a person seemed to be good on the surface And maybe if you or I had lived at that time we might have thought that this is a righteous person But in fact what was inside of him was that the arrogance that would make that person the worst of the disbelievers Now, the evil of the greatest disbelievers was not fully apparent before the Prophet ﷺ became a prophet. For example, about Abu Jahl, it is narrated that he said that we and the sons of Abdul Manaf have vied for honor, the one with the other. They fed food and we fed food. They bore the burdens of other people and we also bore other people's burdens. They gave and we have also gave. Until when we were running equal, knee to knee, neck and neck, Then they say that one of our men is a prophet of God. Revelations come to him from heaven. He says that when can we ever attain to the like of this? We can't compete with them in this. So he swears that by God we will never believe in him, never admit him to be a speaker of the truth. So from this we see that Abu Jahl and others of the disbelievers, they took pride in doing good deeds. They did great services for humanity. There was a generosity that was found in them. To the um, ordinary observer, they might think that they are righteous people. But there was something inside of them that Allah Ta'ala knew, which was so important that it would end up making them the leaders of disbelief and the most condemned of people throughout human history. So even Abu Jahl excelled in what appeared to others as good deeds. He was looked upon with respect by society. His society referred to him as Abu hakam which means the father of wisdom. But the Muslims named him Abu Jahl. Also, before his prophethood, the Holy Prophet Wasallam was very close to Abu Lahab. And Abu Lahab is a person who was later condemned in the Holy Qur'an itself. Two of the daughters of the Holy Prophet were married to the sons of the paternal uncle of the Holy Prophet who was named Abu Lahab. However, it's narrated in Sirat Khatamun Nabiyyin that in the age of Islam, when Abu Lahab began to fiercely oppose the Holy Prophet then their marriages were nullified prior to the finalization of their marriage. So here in the estimation of the Prophet ﷺ, he also had love for his uncle He married two of his daughters to the two sons of his uncle But later on, Allah knew best what was deep within people's hearts And what would come to the surface So this is something that we have to very much worry about within ourselves as well That is there something deep within ourselves And around us as well That where does this disposition of fire exist and where does the disposition of clay exist? So a person may seem good on the surface but only when his humility is tested do we realize his actual reality Hazrat (inaudible) Muslim who said that it is said that Iblis was very righteous this is narrated in Tariq al-Khamis and he says that granted it is not unbelievable rather it is possible. So this first story of the Holy Quran, the story of Iblis teaches us a fundamental lesson. It's not a small lesson, it's something that we have to keep at our forefront in the sight of Allah Ta'ala, ultimately our fate is decided by our arrogance no matter how many good works a person does, if he's arrogant, he is rejected by Allah Ta'ala. Except if Allah Ta'ala chooses to forgive that person, of course. So when we look at all the Iblises throughout history, we find that many of them were apparently righteous. But their arrogance blinded them and deprived them of all blessings. Now this principle applies to Jamaat Ahmadiyya as well. There were some companions, Sahaba of Hazrat Masih Maud, who did great services for Ahmadiyyat. But when it came time to submit to Khilafat, they failed in the test, this very test of humility. Hazrat Musleh said that it was these peghamis with fiery temperaments who were always opposing Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al-Abu'l. Those who opposed were of the disposition of fire. But you people, Hazur says, were of the disposition of clay. You said that according to the command of Allah Ta'ala, we have always been obeying people the Prophets of God, the Imams from God, we have been obeying from the time of Hazrat Adam alayhi salam. Now why would we turn away from obedience to the Khalifa of the time? So now when we look within ourselves to analyze how we are progressing, we should see within ourselves as a Jamaat when it comes to hearing the commands of the Khalifa, the instructions of Hazura ayyadahullah, to what extent does our heart respond with the disposition of clay and to what extent is there some fire found in there? To what extent do we find within us or maybe even around us? A type of fiery response when the Khalifa gives a certain command or instruction that sometimes people don't find convenient to them or maybe even dislike. How people passive-aggressively resist it. How sometimes people find an excuse to force their own will. So when we receive guidance from our Khalifa, do we respond more like clay and mold ourselves according to the impression that Huzzur seeks to create in us or do we respond more like fire and react and do we resist in some ways? So describing those who are truly obedient, Hazrat one <inaudible> says that whenever a command is given by Allah, His Prophets or His Khulafa, that such a person finds no apprehension in his heart in following it and he is completely ready to act on it. And also describing those who still have a temperament of fire in them, Hazrat one <inaudible> says that those in whom that essence has not yet developed By which he finds himself ready for every command with an open heart Or his inner self is offended by certain commands And he considers obedience to them to be an infringement on his rights In reality he is not a Muslim, he is not one who submits And his inner self has deceived him And his nature still remains And this nature still remains in him by which Iblis was rejected from the presence of Allah Ta'ala. Being created from clay doesn't mean that we're cowards or that we're ready to mold ourselves to anything. It only means being readily obedient to Allah Ta'ala. Disobedience can sometimes require one in fact to be rebellious. If you look at the early Muslims, they were like clay in front of Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger. But when obedience to their chiefs conflicted with obedience to Allah Ta'ala, they refused to obey their chiefs, and with bravery they stood forward, and they rejected anything that their chiefs told them that rejected, that went against what Islam taught. So from this perspective, it seems that they behave like fire by their being rebellious to their chiefs. But Allah Ta'ala appreciated that fire because it was in obedience to Allah Ta'ala. On the other hand, being created from fire means being rebellious against Allah Ta'ala. This rebelliousness is often because of obedience and conformity to society. Somebody who's of a fiery disposition, it doesn't mean that they're brave, that they're good people who we should follow and we shouldn't be cowards. In fact, they're the most cowardly of people. They're only rebellious against Allah and His Messenger because of their conformity to simple human beings around them, because of their fear to the culture and norms that are around them. So this rebelliousness is often because of their obedience and conformity to society. The early disbelievers and kuffar were like fire to Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger But they were obedient to their chiefs and they conformed to society So from this perspective they seem like they behaved like clay Because they were obedient to their chiefs They conformed and molded themselves to whatever was popular in society But Allah Ta'ala did not appreciate that clay-like disposition that was in them Because it was in disobedience to Allah Ta'ala So being created from clay means being ready to obey and mold ourselves to the commandments of Allah Ta'ala and being created from fire means rebelliousness to Allah Ta'ala and His messengers and His Khulafa. At the end of the day, we all have to mold ourselves in one way or the other because we're human beings. It is in our very nature to submit. It's just a matter of choice of whether we submit to our own ego, whether we submit to society around us, peer pressure, or whether we choose to stand on bravery and submit only to Allah Almighty and His Messenger and His Khulafa. So this first story of the Holy Qur'an and of religious history has repeated itself throughout history, and it continues to do so. It is a constant reminder that no matter how many good deeds we may apparently do, humility and willing obedience are a fundamental condition for acceptance in the sight of Allah Ta'ala.